0: Of Honestly Speaking with Tara Setmayer, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, guys, uh, been on a hiatus for a couple weeks for the Thanksgiving holiday, and the first week of December I was traveling in London for the week, so I'm back now. It's, and uh, I don't know, nothing's really happened. Has it? Yes, it has. We had the full hearings, the impeachment hearings, we have the impeachment report, and now we have articles of impeachment. So lots of stuff is going on. So for this episode, I thought it would be important to bring a historian on to kind of put things in perspective because there's just so much information being inundated on people. Like it's hard to keep up with it all. So I thought it would be useful to bring a historian, a presidential historian on to kind of compare this and contrast it to impeachment proceedings in the past. Since this is pretty historic, it's only happened three other times in history. We've never actually removed a president. But uh, Tim Naftali, who is also a colleague of mine at CNN, he is a presidential historian. He was the former director of the Nixon Presidential Library. So he has some some familiarity with uh impeachment proceedings and things. He's also the co-author of a book about on impeachment. So he's the guest for this week's episode. Stay tuned for him. It's a great conversation. He also has some choice words um for Bill Barr that he <laughs> that he said to me off air. But let's just say that he's not a fan and thinks that Bill Barr is unworthy of the attorney general position based on his behavior. Uh, which leads me to um, another issue is the this the inspector general, much imp- much anticipated inspector general report by Inspector General Michael Horowitz. It's been in the works for over two years now. He looked into the FBI's conduct and the opening of the counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign and the Russia interference stuff. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that since Horowitz testified this week in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee about that report. And, uh, you know, there were... He basically, the conclusions were that, yes, the Russia investigation, the I mean, the counterintelligence investigation was legit. It was not started because of some political bias or deep state conspiracy. But the FBI also made some mistakes in the FISA application for Carter Page. Um, And, you know, listen... Those kinds of things are important to find out. The inspector general is like the internal affairs officer. Every cabinet agency has one. They're independent. They are nominated and by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Horowitz was nominated by Obama. They serve—I forget how long their terms are—but they're uh, they're not political appointees. Is the is the point? They're supposed to be independent. So Horowitz provided a fair report. Unfortunately. The attorney general and his hired gun, John Durham, a former U S attorney in Connecticut was, I don't know if he's former or current still actually, but anyway, he's, he was a well-respected U S attorney, but he's now turned into a shill for Trump and at Barr's bidding. And they're arguing with the conclusions now of the inspector general. So muddying the waters again for the American people and sowing discord and distrust in our institutions, which is just awful. So I'll talk about that in a minute, but, um, just want to uh, talk about a couple other things. Uh, my trip to London, for those who follow me on Instagram, they saw I posted some photos also on Twitter. I posted some photos. I happened to be there during the NATO conference, the NATO 70th, uh, anniversary celebration where Trump threw a temper tantrum and was mocked and made fun of by his fellow NATO world leaders that was reported in the news I have to tell you, I, I'd never been to London before. I'd never been to England before. I've been all over Europe, but never there. And it was wonderful. I really, really enjoyed it. London is a beautiful city, especially this time of year with the Christmas holiday, beautifully decorated. Um, So much history there. My husband and I had a chance to take a day trip out into the English countryside. So we got to see Windsor Castle, um, which is spectacular we also got to see got to see stonehenge which was really cool uh, it was a bucket list place for my husband so i'm glad that we had a chance to do that together such a i mean you watched all those like nat geo specials and stuff on stonehenge and to see it up close is really cool you can't touch them um they they rope it off but it's like in the middle of a field out in the english countryside about two hours outside of london but there's like a highway that that's, that that's right near it. But I don't, it was weird. Like I didn't expect it to be like that. I thought it was going to be in a much more remote location, but it's in this big field. There's sheep grazing. There's a, there's a military complex. Um, A few hundred yards, uh, maybe probably a mile away, maybe two miles. Just felt close because it was wide open. But there was like a military complex. So you heard things blowing up and like a gun range in the background. I was like, what is happening? Helicopters flying over. It was crazy. But it was cool, though. It was still really cool. I posted some neat pictures. That's not every day you get to go to Stonehenge. It's been there for 5,000 years. They still don't know how they got the stones there or why. I mean... It really does look like some kind of a dial or like a sun calendar dial or something like that, just because of the way it's lined up. I mean, it's not a coincidence that it's lined up perfectly with the winter and summer solstices. Like, but the fact that they knew that 5,000 years ago, that's crazy. Anyway, so that was cool. We also went to this really lovely town called Bath, which I hadn't heard of, but it's um, been around a long time. And when the Romans were in, in, uh, the UK we're in the in- England area back way back when they, um, had these Roman baths there. It's like in the middle of the town and they, you can still see them. They're still intact. Really, really cool. I've spent a lot of time in Italy. If you follow me, you know that I've, that I, um, that I'm part Italian. I speak a little Italian. I visit, visit Italy as often as I can, usually, uh, during our, wedding anniversary because my husband and I got married in Sicily. So I visited a lot of different ancient ruins in Italy, which has the most UNESCO world heritage sites in the world, by the way. So it was really cool. I didn't realize the history with the Roman empire and that part of the world in England. Um, I didn't put that together until I was there. So it was really neat to see that, but it was a beautiful town, just a beautiful town. Uh, they had a beautiful abbey there in the middle of town and which is like a Duomo in, in in Italy. You know, it's the big, a big cathedral. And they have the largest Christmas market in all of England. And I love craft shows and Christmas markets and things like that. I was thrilled. And my husband is such a good sport because he likes that stuff too. He, he likes a good craft show. So yes, he's a, you know, big bad federal agent. And he's 6'2", 240, 235 from Brooklyn, but he likes a good craft show. <laughs> so... We had fun there and got all kinds of cool stuff that we brought back and beautiful snow globe and things. It was just, we just had a wonderful time. So shout out to the UK. They're going through their own uh, contentious time politically now. Uh, The the Brexit stuff is still going on over there. They have another prime minister vote coming up. I think it's um, actually this week. So it was cool to watch British media and, and, and watch it firsthand over there, read their newspapers. Um, I love British humor and I've got to tell you the British media skewered Donald Trump while I was over there. I actually was able to record a program on the BBC where one of their anchors, her name is Emily Maitlis. She just destroyed Donald Trump in the most glorious British prose where she compared him to Homer Simpson. It was great. I might have to repost that on on the Honestly Speaking Twitter feed because I posted it on my regular Twitter and it went viral. I just had to share it. Yeah. So he's a laughingstock around the world, despite what he says that America's respected again. No, we're not. Okay. Our allies are laughing at us, wondering. You know how many many Brits, when they found out my husband and I were American, were like, uh, what is happening to your country? I'm <laughs> oh like, don't ask. Don't ask. There were protests and stuff. Not as big as in the past, but there were a couple. And I was like, yeah, don't worry. We don't like them either. So anyway, so that's a little, um, a little, uh, oh, I, oh, one last thing. So the day that I was flying to England, that that earlier that day, I left on a night flight. This terrorist attack happened on London Bridge with this lunatic Muslim terrorist stabbed people to death on this bridge before he was taken out by the, by the um, British police. And so, um, that was awful, but I had a chance to go visit London bridge a couple days later. And, uh, there was a, 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 memorial there to the two Oxford students who were killed and it was still cordoned off though. They still had a, a heavy police presence on that side of the bridge. Only one side was open to, to walk across it. So it uh, you was, know, we paid our respects and it was just surreal to be that close to where a terrorist attack happened. It was kind of a little jarring, but so I did have that, but it's a beautiful city. So if anyone ever has a chance to visit London, please visit London. We went to Savile Row where all the famous British tailors have been there for hundreds of years. We got a chance to see the Kingsman. If anybody likes the Kingsman movies, the secret service Kingsman movies, I'm a fan. I like them. Uh, we went to the, the Huntsman tailor shop where it was filmed and based off of, and they have little pictures of the, of the movie set and, they have like one of the examples of the suits. So it was cool. It was a cool trip. Shout out to London. Um, it is the holiday season. So um, I love this time of year. My husband and I always overdo it. We decorate our house into like this big winter wonderland. So we're a little behind on that because of the travels, but the house is almost complete. Almost complete. By the time this airs, it'll be complete again. My mom. Usually puts her Christmas village together, which is awesome because it's, it's, she, she really does like a great job on the detail. The Christmas village is cool. So it's one of the highlights when we have our, our Christmas party every year, people check out my mom's Christmas village and the Christmas movies. So there's been a big debate on Twitter about, you know, fit, you know, their fav, people list your favorite Christmas movies. So you can go on the honestly speaking Twitter feed at honestly underscore Tara and tell me what are your favorite Christmas movies? Now, people argue, no, it can't be like some TV movie. It's got to either be a movie or a show. So, of course, I love Rudolph and the Peanuts. Who doesn't love Charlie Brown Christmas? Come on, with that little sorry tree. It's, but you kind of look at it as an adult. I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad for them. Just like I kind of I tear up over Rudolph. He was really mistreated. That was kind of messed up. But it's still kind of a Christmas tradition. Sound of Music is one of the greatest movies ever made. I consider that a Christmas movie. White Christmas, amazing. Irvin Berlin's famous White Christmas with Bing Crosby. Come on, who doesn't love that? Miracle on 34th Street. But my all-time favorite Christmas movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Absolute fucking classic. I love it. I will watch that movie a million times when it comes on during Christmas. It never gets old. It's always hilarious. And it's one of my favorite. It just is. And of course, a Christmas story. Every Christmas, I will watch that movie five and six times over while I'm wrapping gifts until godforsaken hours. hours. How could you not love that movie? Classic. I'll shoot your eye out, kid. So hit me up. Let me know what you think, uh, what your favorite movie is. And no, damn it. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Let the hate come, let the hate flow. I already know this is an ongoing argument every year. All right, on to on to the political news. I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I really am, I'm exhausted. This this Christmas season, this, this holiday season, just feels a little heavier than in the past. And I'm trying really hard to not allow the impeachment and everything that's going on to kind of put a damper on the Christmas season because I'm like... My family's really, really festive, but it is, it is, it is having a little bit of an effect on me. And I, am I'm, I'm not quite sure why it's weird, but I'll get over the funk. I, I guess maybe because I just feel the, the, the gravity of everything that's happening. I mean, it really is historic what's going on. And, um, I, I don't know that, I don't know that everybody really appreciates what's happening. I saw Hamilton while I was over there in in London, finally, because it's like impossible to get tickets here in the United States. So London productions of shows are fantastic as well. So I was able to get a nice, reasonably priced ticket for under $100 with fantastic seats and finally got a chance to see what all the hype was about with Hamilton. And it was wonderful. I get it now. But I actually felt myself tearing up like an idiot In the first act when Hamilton was, um, when they were doing the the writing of the Constitution and the Federalist Papers part of it, I guess just because I was like thinking, this is exactly what the impeachment process we're going through right now and the importance of protecting the integrity of our system is exactly what our founding fathers wanted to make sure the Constitution did and that there were protections in place. Tim Neftali, my, my upcoming guest, he calls he calls impeachment a safety valve. And I guess I just kind of, I don't know, I had, I had like a lump in my throat for a couple of minutes where I was watching that just thinking like, do people really understand the gravity of what's going on here? I don't know what they do. I don't know what they do. But people like myself and others who are going to continue to give information and explain to the average person why they should care, hopefully we have an impact. But what Donald Trump is doing to this country is really unprecedented in a lot of ways. And um, the fact that articles of impeachment are being drawn up as we speak, there's two counts. One is abuse of power. The other, obstruction of Congress. These are significant. They are. And Adam Schiff made the point that the time is now. The elections are coming up. We can't have a president of the United States soliciting foreign interference again and, but now using the levers of the government and, and taxpayer money to extort a foreign government who's dependent on security assistance from the United States fighting a hot war with Russia. We can't have the president of the United States extorting a foreign country into doing his political domestic political bidding, investigating a political rival under so just take away all the other extraneous crap. That should not be okay. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Republicans would have a shit fit if Barack Obama had done something remotely close to that, or Hillary Clinton. Give me a freaking break. They're just so intellectually dishonest. That's the part that bothers me the most. It's like, what? These people, they know better. Devin Nunes who I can't stand, what a moron jerk this guy is. Well, there's a long list of those, but Devin Nunes is the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee now. But this guy was the chairman for two years of the Intelligence Committee, and he completely abused that position and shilled for the president and went running back to the White House, telling them information about things during their investigations, completely inappropriate. And thank God, because Democrats took over Congress, he lost his chairmanship. And Adam Schiff, who I didn't really care for before because I didn't really pay much attention to him because we were you know, fighting political battles, right? I was a Republican. So I'm a, on the Republican side of things. I didn't really pay attention. I have a whole greater appreciation for some of these Democrats, Adam Schiff being one of them. I think he's handled this quite well. A couple mistakes along the way, like the dramatic reading of the, of the whistleblower complaint wasn't necessary. But that's come on, give me a break. Other than that, he's handled the hearings excellently. He's he's been professional. He's all his his conclusions and the way he wraps things up are always succinct and to the point and easily digestible. And I I suspect that Nancy Pelosi will name him as one of the managers during the Senate trial for the impeachment. She should hundred percent. But you know, I it's just really. It's just bothersome to me that Donald Trump and his minions and the Devin Nunes of the world and the Jim Jordans and these other jerks, they were whining, complaining about the process and this and that, just completely uh, uh, distracting from the facts that they can't argue those. And the facts are what? <laughs> Indisputable. All the witnesses, the career foreign service folks, the... Nobody disputes that Donald Trump knew what was going on. He directed Giuliani to put pressure on the Ukrainians. They withheld the money until the Ukrainians were going just to announce an investigation into Biden. They didn't have to conduct one. They just wanted the announcement. Why? Because that would politically be damaging, theoretically, to Biden and helpful to Trump. I mean, it's so obvious what's going on. But Fox News and talk radio and others, they're just muddying the waters. And uh, I don't blame average Americans for being like, I I don't know what's going on. And I just want Christmas to come. (laughs) But we have to pay attention, people. We have to. An abuse of power by the president of the United States at this level is not something that we as the American people can accept moving forward. Justin Amash who quit the Republican party to become an independent was the only person that voted for the impeachment inquiry. He made the determination that impeachment, his concern is not that impeachment being used too much. It's not being used enough because if not this, if this kind of behavior, he was actually talking about the Mueller report, but he's all in on what's going on with Ukraine. But if this is not impeachable, what is, you know, and that's basically where we've gone. I mean, the Republicans' behavior has been just so atrocious. It's hard to I just it's it's hard to deal with. It's embarrassing. They should all be ashamed of themselves. Unfortunately, Jerry Nadler, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, does not have the same control over his committee the way that Adam Schiff does. And the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee are 10 times more obnoxious. You've got the Matt Gates of the world and Doug Collins Jim Jordan again, Radcliffe, a couple others, who, uh, that Louis Gohmert. I mean, they were incorrigible. And it was just shameful. Complaining about things, rabbit holes that don't matter, process arguments that don't matter. Most of them are dishonest anyway. It's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. And people start to lose interest because they can't deal with all the, the screaming and yelling and the arguing over stupid stuff. But don't let that distract from the facts of the case and the fact that people like senator kennedy from louisiana ted cruz who i just who, whose voice is like nails on a chalkboard i cannot stand him they are per- pushing this the soviet pro- well soviet hmm, russian propaganda narratives about ukraine even after dr fiona hill who is one of the preeminent russia experts in the united states who used to work on the national security council under trump she quit she testified and was telling them this whole stuff about Ukraine being, uh, um, influencing, interfering in the 2016 elec- election is bullshit. And it's straight out of the Russian propaganda playbook. What are you people doing? They don't care. They don't care what they're going to do, whatever they're going to do to bow at the altar of Trump and kiss his ass at the expense of our intelligence community At the expense of the integrity of our intelligence community, at the expense of our national security, and all to the benefit of the Russians, who are laughing their asses off at their successful operation, and it's ongoing. If Donald Trump is not the biggest useful idiot that the Russians have ever had, I don't know who is. Speaking of the Russians, Sergey Lavrov, who is the Russian foreign minister, who's basically a Russian intelligence officer, was back in the White House this week taking pictures with Trump and hanging out with Secretary Pompeo and and given a platform to, again, spew Russian propaganda. Talking about how, well, we haven't seen any evidence of any Russian interference. Yeah, that's not true. From the grounds of the White House. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. Again, let's add that to the What if Hillary or Obama had done this file, which is probably about six feet thick at this point? Republicans would be screaming treachery, screaming it from the rooftops. But yet they enable this guy. They enable Trump. It's, I, I don't know. It's inexplicable to me in a lot of ways. It really is. Giuliani is in big shit trouble. He's, um, we already know that there's some kind of a criminal investigation going on or surrounding him with the Southern District of New York. We don't know the details, but we just know what's happening. His two cohorts, frickin' frack, right? Parnas and Fruman, big trouble also, indicted as we speak. Parnas spilling the beans. And during the over the last two weeks, we discovered that guess who's been talking to Parnas? Oh, Devin Nunes. He didn't disclose that during the impeachment inquiry hearings in front of the Intelligence Committee. He never mentioned that. But the intelligence committee subpoenaed phone records and guess whose number pops up Devin nunez they go holy shit nunez was talking to parnas and Giuliani back in april when the whole russian um ukrainian ambassador marie ivanovich that whole plot to get her fired was going on and when this stuff first started really bubbling up about investigating biden after biden announced the presidency his run for the presidency hello and then nunez was caught like a deer in headlights And instead of just admitting it, no, he's threatened to sue people. He was threatening all kinds of crap and had some BS uh, response to a Fox News interview asked about, did you ever talk to Lev Parnas? Uh, well, I think I talked to his wife or someone, but when you're not sure who it is, you just give your phone to staff and let them handle it. Because there was an eight minute phone call in those phone records. So what the hell were you talking about for eight minutes? You don't remember that? Bullshit bullshit. And there were two other calls made from Nunes to Parnas. So that's all real fishy. Nunes is also, by the way, suing CNN for $435 million because, um, Vicki Ward, who was on this program a couple weeks ago talking about, she also wrote an excellent book called, called Kushner Inc. exposing the corruption of Jared Kushner and others in the white house, like Jar- uh, Ivanka. But anyway, um, she's a reporter now for CNN and she, uh, there was a story where Lev Parnas' um, attorney said that he heard from his client who heard from Victor Shokin, who is the disgraced corrupt prosecutor at the center of all of this. That's who Joe Biden said, Hey, this guy's got to go. The rest of the Western world says he's got to go. He doesn't, he's, he's corrupt. Our U S government says he's got to go. He's got to go. That's the guy, Victor Shokin. Victor Shokin is claiming that he met with Nunes at a meeting in Vienna last year. That's what Parnas says. Parnas says he's also willing to come in front of Congress and testify under oath about this stuff, but he's also under indictment, so it's a little complicated. And Vicky Ward reported that. Nunes had a fit and said, "Oh, this is defamation. I was not there. It's not true. But he hasn't really had a full-throated... Defense of himself, he's just threatening to sue people, but that's what he does. He's suing a fake Twitter account, but Devin Nunez's cow account for a couple hundred million dollars. He's suing poor Liz Mayer, who's a political consultant, for a couple for four hundred million dollars. He's insane. He's suing Ryan Lizza for a story about how his how Devin Nunez's family moved their farm out of the, his district in California into Iowa, and they've been running it for their, from there for years. I mean, this guy is out of control, this Nunez. what a jerk. I don't know how these people get elected to Congress. I, I hope there's a, a formidable challenger to take him down because he's awful, awful. But, you know, I just think that as this proceeds and it's going to, um, it's really, really important that we keep it in perspective. We keep this IG report by Michael Horowitz in perspective. Um, remember what I said about this. I would take what Horowitz says before I would take anything Bill Barr or John Durham has to say. There's going to be competing reports, but Durham and Barr are political lackeys. Horowitz is independent. And just because there were mistakes made in the FISA process with Carter Page does not take away from the fact that there, that the the disparaging comments that Donald Trump has made against FBI brass, against FBI specific FBI agents, the horrible things he's done to ruin people's reputations, what it did to Andy McCabe, all of those things were unfair, inappropriate, and unwarranted. And that's something that can't get lost in all of this. It really can't. And the fact that the investigation into the count, the, 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 Russian influence into the campaign and the election was legit. That is what Horowitz found very important to remember because wouldn't it have been against the FBI? What if the FBI hadn't done that? We would never know the extent of the Russians influence. So what are we doing? Demonizing, demonizing the FBI, Yes, they make mistakes. They're not perfect. And, and even the FBI director, Christopher Ray acknowledged that, and they're going to make changes, and they should. They should. But that does. Th- both things can be true at the same time, though. It should not take away from the fact that we have a president, an attorney general, a compromised Justice Department that are being dishonest, misleading the American people, and doing the bidding of the Russians in the meantime by discrediting our intelligence agencies. I mean, Donald Trump, for God's sakes, called the FBI agents human scum, right? He called them scum, just like he called us never Trumpers, human scum. So I guess we're all in good company. Every time he says that, I think of rebel scum from Star Wars, big Star Wars fan. (laughs) Rebel scum, that's what I think of every time he says this. But this should not be coming out of the President of the United States' mouth. And he did it at a rally this week in Pennsylvania. And these dumbasses in the crowd are cheering. That's the scariest part to me are these people that are cheering him. As a matter of fact, they were, they interviewed, they did like man on the street interviews. These, these, these Trump rallies are speaking of star Wars are more like star Wars bars. You know, you ever see this, the bars in star Wars scenes, like all kinds of weirdos and freaks in them. You get the, you know, cream and the crop of the weirdos at these, at these Trump rallies. And I'm going to play for you some audio from CBS News. They did a couple of interviews of these people, and I just want you to listen to what these Trump supporters had to say about impeachment. He's not going to be removed. He's not going to be removed.
1: He's not going to be removed. Do you feel comfortable in that? My 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 357 Magnum is comfortable with that. End of story. And they remove him in the Senate? hmm I think it would cause physical violence in this country that we haven't seen since the Second Civil War. I think it will become the Second Civil War. I would think that there would be a strong movement be very negative possible violence, but that aren't condoning violence. There
2: will be a lot of mad Americans, possibly 70, 80,000,
1: 70, 80 000, million Americans on the loose, not very happy. What we're seeing is a divided country. You know, both sides are dug in. No one's budging. We have families to apart. It's uh, including my family. My daughters are liberal. I'm conservative. Now that this whole thing has been going on, um, we just had a private Thanksgiving. It's uh, very unfortunate. I wish it never would have happened, this whole, this whole mess we're in.
0: Did he do something wrong? It doesn't appear. I think you're,
1: I think it's going to be very hard for to change
0: everyone's supporters. If you're a Trump supporter, I'll speak for myself. As a Trump supporter, I believe in everything, And I don't believe he's dumb enough to say something in front of
1: all these people that will actually get him
0: to There were more interviews, and there was a woman crying. I mean, it, it's that the guy talking about his 357 Magnum is okay with that. And the other guy talking about a civil war, a possible second civil war if Trump were removed. I mean, this is scary shit. And I've been saying this from day one. I've been very fearful of this, of these possibilities. And some might've called me alarmist, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But We have to keep speaking the truth, we have to keep pointing out the facts, and as Ben Franklin said, only virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they are in need of more masters. We need to pay attention to that. Good time to bring in my guest this week, presidential historian Tim Naftali. Well, what a time to be alive. I say this often as someone who has been involved in politics for 25 years, but uh, I always try to bring people on who are experts, who can put things in context, because I think it's important for my listeners to be informed about what's going on because there's so much information, people are inundated. And I thought that given that we're living through history right now with impeachment, why not bring on someone as a guest to talk a little bit about the historical context of impeachment? So I am happy to welcome my friend and colleague over at CNN, presidential historian, Tim Naftali. Tim not only is a presidential historian, but he was also the former director of the Nixon Presidential Library and Museum. He's the co-author of the book, Impeachment and American History, who he co-wrote with other amazing historians like John Meacham and Peter Baker and Jeffrey Engel. And he's also currently a professor at NYU. So he's a busy guy. Tim Naftali, welcome to Honestly Speaking with Tara. My
2: pleasure, Tara. It's great to be with you.
0: So, you know, what do you think? Is this an impeachment like no other?
2: You know, when when uh, when your listeners were kind enough to pay my salary, and I uh, was the director of the Nixon Library, I had no idea that I was in training, that I was preparing <laughs> to understand a future presidency. Uh, uh, so I, I am both uh, feeling oddly nostalgic, uh, not, not for the Nixon era but for what I learned in Nixonland, but I'm, I'm also dismayed um, that I am in a sense uh, seeing this, this movie again, and it is dismaying. Uh, the impeachments are hard on the country. They're not easy. Uh, they should not be done lightly. I'm not suggesting it's being done lightly this time, but they, they really, really are painful. And they can divide families. They can divide parties. Uh, they raise very difficult questions for people, elected officials. Um, uh, elected officials uh, don't like uh, public national questions um, whose outcomes, political outcomes are uncertain. Um, and I, uh, I, I tell you, I... I'm dismayed. I mean, it's not that I'm surprised Uh, this was sort of bred. This was pretty much going to happen. Uh, It seemed last summer that this was the likely outcome. But even so, uh, to have it right in front of us is a little tough.
0: In your book, you talk about impeachment being a double-edged sword. And I think that's um, kind of what you're grappling with now. And and Speaker Pelosi has made this point, as have others, that – no one is taking pleasure in this. This is really a sad, these are sad days. You know, some people may be cheering this, those of us who think that Donald Trump is an existential threat to the presidency and the Constitution, like myself, but we're not necessarily cheering this because it is so hard on the country. And Thomas Jefferson famously said that impeachment is the most formidable weapon for the purpose of a dominant faction that was ever contrived. His concern was... You know, this is a serious weapon to be used and we need to be prudent when we do it. Do you think that um, that's being that that, that's that the Democrats are handling this in a prudent way?
2: I think I think that um, I think Speaker Pelosi um, has clearly made decisions to try to handle this in a prudent way. Um, And I think for the most part, they have. Um uh I'm an equal opportunity critic. Uh good, um, we welcome that. Balance so, is good.
0: Yeah.
2: Um it's not just it's not just balance. It's just that, you know, I I I call I call balls and strikes. I try my best to do that. Um, I think one of the challenges for the Democratic Caucus – this is not based on inside information. This is from observing it like all of us. It's just you and I, Tara, spent a lot of time observing it. So we might see a few details that some of the listeners may not have noticed. Sure. Uh, the, the, caucus, the Democratic Caucus had some very strong impeachers in it. Arguably still do. It still does. And those impeachers were pushing Nancy Pelosi, I think, to act on the Mueller report <laughs> – and um, I was uh, among those who felt that uh, the Mueller report was not the basis for uh, an impeachment action against uh, President Trump. You didn't. It's not that I I did not believe that. No, yeah, why not? I didn't. Be- I, I didn't believe it because um, impeachment is a national issue. It's not I'm not a lawyer. I wasn't trained as a lawyer, but I've had to study the sort of the legal and uh, political sides of impeachment. Uh, and even though in the law... <laughs> Uh, you can successfully prosecute someone for obstruction of justice, even if there's no underlying crime. Uh, if, if the you know, FBI comes to you or IRS or whoever and seeks to in- investigate something, even if, as it turns out, what they were investigating doesn't, out, doesn't turn out to have involved unlawful activity, you still have to help them. You do – you have an obligation to assist them. Mm-hmm. But the American public, I think, would, would find it very hard to accept – impeaching a president uh, when he obstructed an investigation didn't, that did not find collusion. Um, and I'm not saying that, the, that the President Trump's, uh, then-candidate Trump's, candid, uh, campaign didn't engage in unethical activities and, and didn't do things that I would hope no uh, presidential campaign would ever do again, which would be to solicit information and dirt from a foreign government. But the way in which the Mueller report was crafted, you did not get the sense that the uh, that the president and then candidate had committed a crime,
0: and so I just didn't even, think that the public would the, accept. Even with the uh, the obstruction parts, once he became president, the whole Don McGahn firing Mueller, you know, oh, all of those I, things that I, that I, Mueller I, laid out, even then, you didn't think that that ris- rose to the level of of obstruction of justice <laughs> to the point that it could be impeachable or an abuse of power.
2: I believe that it was – I believe that it rose to a a high level, but I also believed that because the volume one of the report had not found um, the kind of uh, evidence that was turned up in the Nixon case regarding Nixon and his own set of misconduct, that it would be very hard to convince Americans, most Americans – uh, that that this was the reason to overturn the 2016 election. Interesting. This was a judgment. I mean, yeah. this is a judgment I made. It's yeah, a judgment no. based on my my studying the impeachments and seeing how difficult they are for the country. They are traumatic, and uh, even though I felt that as it that what little I know about the law that there's no question that President Trump and his lieutenants. Had done everything possible to prevent um, the FBI and Mueller from investigating their actions, and they did it in a way that suggested criminality, mm-hmm. or at least uh, uh, malicious and corrupt intent. That when when push came to shove, and you had the the trial in the Senate, uh, that the American public would see this um, as terribly, terribly partisan. And I just felt at this stage in our uh, life as a country, we didn't need that. I mean, we, we face a huge challenge. When President Trump leaves the scene, whether it's next year or four years after that, God help us. We, will still face, we will still face the challenge of Trumpism. It's not going to go away. That's true. He has excited Demons in our in our society. I don't mean people. I'm not demonizing people. I'm talking about dark thoughts. Yeah. I'm talking about dark uh, dark impulses. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the opposite of the better angels of our nature. Yep, that's right. He has excited them, uh, and they're not going to go away. And I um, one of the things I learned from my time um, in uh, in Southern California was the deep commitment at times even obsessional commitment some americans have with richard nixon and his innocence their belief that he was innocent and, and you know we perhaps can go into this in this uh, in, in this our discussion today yeah, but I'm, the evidence down. regarding nixon the, the the evidence regarding nixon is overwhelming it's it's overwhelming in fact we have learned much more um i'm i'm, I'm i proud to say that uh, even when I was there, I was able to uh, release materials on Watergate or relevant to Watergate that would be useful for the general public. And, 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 and even in that case, we, I encountered a number of people um, that were deeply committed to uh, President Nixon's innocence and believed conspiracy theories about Richard Nixon. This many years later, mm-hmm. despite all this evidence,
0: I do so want to in, get into Nixon because I have some questions about that. But since it, so I don't want to get into it yet right now, because I don't want to get off the what's happening right now. But yeah. I do have a quick question about about Nixon, um, even though there are people who who still believe that he was innocent and they believe the conspiracy theories. <laughs> did Nixon ever take responsibility for what he did? Did he actually believe at any point? You know what? what I did was wrong and I deserve to be impeached or, you know, the whole, I'm not a crook. And if the president does it, it's not illegal. Did he really believe those things and all the way to the end? Well,
2: I'm going to, I'm going to go through each one, uh, uh, because one of them is a a bit of a, is a, a misunderstanding. I'm, I'm, I, as I said, I, I think it's, imp- it's important to be an equal opportunity critic. Yeah. So while I'm going to tell you about Nixon's mistakes, I want to put in context his statement about uh, the president does it, it's not illegal. Right. Um, he said that in an interview with David Frost, the mm. British uh, broadcaster, amazing but he
0: didn't interviews, say it about everything. Way, I suggest people go back and watch those Frost versus Nixon interviews, that they, which just amazing. Well,
2: he said that only about national security policy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He was not saying it about anything. It's what been taken to mean if the president does anything, including shooting somebody, right. it's not illegal. He didn't say that. What he he was talking about wiretapping, and he was talking about the context of that time. And you know, it's unfortunate, um, but in that time, there was a gray area regarding national security wiretaps which allowed the president basically to wiretap anybody if it if the president felt it was a matter of national security that's for example how martin luther king jr was wiretapped or dr mm-hmm. king was yep. was wiretapped um and others it was in the context and another well, that's a that, that's that a we could do a whole podcast about yeah.
1: that
2: <laughs> i'm i'm working on a book about john f kennedy right now so i, I i'm i'm thinking a lot about dr king um Anyway, so Richard. So what Richard Nixon was saying was that in terms of national security, uh, if a president does it, it's not illegal. That's and I'm not. By, by the way, I, I think that's a, a, a very threatening, a very uh, particularly if you have a conservative view of, it, of the of presidential power, that is a, thing, a very threatening point of view. But it's not the blank check that some people uh, assume he was arguing for. Um, uh, I don't believe that President Nixon ever took full responsibility. He did apologize. He apologized for people, to to his family and friends, for dragging the country through this. But but he never accepted why he did it. Mm -hmm. He often made the argument that he did it because he was trying to help his friends. He engaged in a cover-up to protect his friends. He never admitted that he was the architect of this cover-up, which we know from the tapes. He never admitted his abuse of power. He never admitted, his memoirs are full. It's a tissue of, they're very careful not to have, uh, there aren't many 100% lies, uh, but they're, but, but, the, but, the, but the memoir is crafted in such a way that he doesn't take responsibility um uh you don't really get a sense from the memoir that that he is the the, the brains behind what would become the enemies list mm-hmm. he didn't choose all the names but he's the one who said let's go after them let's use the irs to hurt those people He's the one who ordered it so i think that that he's never fully uh, accepted responsibility. Now, there are some who would argue that when he accepted the pardon, that implied it. But, you know, that's been spun by his allies in many ways. They're, one of the consequences of the pardon, I believe, is that the public never fully understood the crimes that Richard Nixon had committed. I'm not suggesting, and he wasn't well at the time, that it would have served the country well to have taken this ill man and put him in prison. But perhaps the process could have gone a little longer for there to have been a criminal indictment for people to actually see. I know we have the articles of impeachment. That is one form of indictment. But I think if they'd seen a criminal indictment, they would have understood that this wasn't just about the cover-up. Of a break-in on one night at the democratic national C- committee this was about a a a pattern of corruption and abuse of power that extended through a number of years and then i think they would have understood the reason why someone like richard nixon for all his achievements in foreign policy and he deserves credit for, sure. for for going to china right but for all those achievements his continued Um, His continued time in the White House represented a clear and present danger to our Constitution.
0: That's a good segue into comparing and contrasting what's happening right now, Uh, because obviously the Clinton impeachment – is kind of cast aside a bit as far as the gravity of what of what bill clinton did i mean i you know i'm a lifelong republican i wasn't a fan of bill clinton i thought what he did was awful uh i was behind the impeachment at the time i was still you know i was young and 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 still coming up in politics during the clinton impeachment but i felt like you know you can't lie under oath and behave this way and think that that's the you know the way the office of the presidency should be and i agreed with it at the time now Obviously, looking back in hindsight, comparing it to Nixon and now what Trump is doing, I'm like, that was ridiculous. And the way that and looking at the way Republicans who are still in office now, <laughs> Lindsey Graham and others, the way they went after Bill Clinton and the arguments that they made and then the way they excuse Trump now, the hypocrisy is mind blowing. But Nixon and how uh, there there are a lot of similarities in the way that Nixon behaved and the way he viewed the media and how he tried to use his his lieutenants in in government to to protect him and the way that trump is behaving what what are some examples of the similarities that you see uh, i'd i'd i I'd, I'd love to go
2: into the may i say something about clinton yeah sure um, because i i also remember the clinton impeachment and i and i think one one uh, challenge for a for Americans, all of us, is to understand when a crime is impeachable and when it is it isn't. Americans had a reason to be more than dismayed with President Clinton for lying under oath. Sure, uh, that strikes at uh, really at the heart of our criminal system. If people get away with lying under oath, then how do we learn things? Documents don't tell the full story. You have to rely oftentimes on on witnesses. Indeed, we're going to have to do that in this particular impeachment because the president, President Trump, has not uh, responded to any one of the 71 subpoenas he's received uh, or his, his lieutenants have received. Um, but then the question is, uh, is perjury – it's lying under oath uh, – about an ex-marital affair a high crime and misdemeanor? And it was really hard for a lot of Americans to get them to wrap their head around the fact that something that would be really, really wrong for any of us, uh, people who are not in the White House, would not be a reason to lose um, to to lose a presidency. And 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 one of the and that's really what a lot of this was about, because a lot of the rhetoric on the part of the impeachers in 1998, 99 was look he, he he lied under oath no, not, nobody's allowed to do that without without being tried right and that was true but impeachment is an is a is a is a it's a constitutional weapon and it's designed not to deal, deal with mere mortals to deal with with, with with small crimes that are important. And by the way, I'm not minimizing the significance of perjury, but it's to deal with high crimes because what you're doing is you're overturning an election. And one of the things that, that the House Judiciary Committee in the Nixon period did was think about whether to impeach Nixon for cheating on his taxes. And they decided no. And by the way, the Democrats voted no as well as republicans they said no cheating on your taxes which is wrong which should have real severe consequences is not the reason to impeach a president that lesson was forgotten by 1998 in the in the partisan fervor of the moment and that's why the clinton impeachment was so was was so wrong that was not the way to, to deal with him. Censure would have been a good way. Right. There are a number of ways to sure. send a signal that your behavior was disgusting and below the standards of the government, of, of, of our government, without engaging in impeachment. And, that, and that's a segue to Donald Trump because there are many reasons to dislike Donald Trump's handling of the government, to dislike his his destruction of, of norms and of decorum, those are not the reasons he should be impeached. They are the reasons someone like – there's a reason why he shouldn't be reelected. There are reasons why people like him should not be elected in the first place, but they're not a reason to impeach, just as the disgusting conduct that Bill Clinton engaged in in, in, in the Oval Office is not a reason to impeach him.
0: Wasn't that the, the argument what, 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 over, matter- uh, over Andrew Johnson's impeachment, that, that it was really that people, they were just upset about the way he was handling things and that that's not yes, a good it, example either, right? Yes, and, and not only handling things, but his policy. I mean, Andrew Johnson is a
2: tragic story. He's not a tragic figure. He was awful. Yeah, he was. But it's a tragic story. We lost, we lost the best president in our history. Okay, bias here. Abraham Lincoln is my favorite president.
0: (laughs) I think you're allowed to say that. (laughs) It's not a bad bad president to
2: choose. No, but I want to make clear. Abraham Lincoln is my favorite president. We could go into it, do another podcast on why. So he, like every human, like every mortal, he made a mistake. He made some mistakes. That's okay. We all do.
1: Right.
2: Abraham Lincoln dies, is killed, before he's fully uh, fleshed out his reconstruction plan. Um, he has chosen in 1864 a Southern Democrat as a running mate uh, because, first of all, in that era, it, even though there had been uh, a presidential succession upon death before, you still chose your running mate not because they were going to be – they had presidential timber but because you needed them to win. And in 1864, you know, Abraham Lincoln wasn't sure he was going to win. In fact, it was largely because of a couple of military victories that summer that he, he turned, the, turned the corner and, and ultimately won. So he chooses Andrew Johnson, the only Southern Democrat in the Senate who did not go to, to the Confederacy, who stayed in Washington. Um, Andrew Johnson and Abraham Lincoln thought completely differently about the country. They had different views about what to do with the Confederacy after after victory, and they had different views of African Americans. Clearly, um, Johnson was on the ticket, though, to deliver a victory. Uh, to get actually, and 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 he helps. Johnson then uh, succeeds Lincoln. Johnson has Lincoln's cabinet. Johnson has the outlines of Lincoln's malice and malice towards none approach to Reconstruction. And he decides to, to basically subvert the view of Reconstruction that Lincoln's lieutenants and the so-called Radical Republicans in Congress um, believed in. And so they wanted him out. They saw him as a betrayer of the spirit of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And Which in and essence and he, was. And he, Which in he, was. he was, yeah. He definitely was. Not only that, but he reveled in 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 making arguments about the Confederacy yeah. that undermined the the, the some of the, the, the reason the Union fought this war. Right. Yeah. So so he was a horrible person be leading this country at a time when you needed someone with the the instincts of Nelson Mandela all right this 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 was the this, you know he, he, he had the instincts of Vladimir Putin <laughs> not of Nelson Mandela <laughs> so he was he was horrible now what the radical Republicans did however was they set a trap for him they they passed what would later turn out to be a a, a constitu- an unconstitutional law to force him uh to keep the cabinet, what he wanted to do was he right. wanted to fire his cabinet right he wanted to get rid of those people
0: right the which of those presidents are, are allowed to okay, do right? yeah
2: But they passed a, a law that said the presidents cannot fire anyone confirmed by the Senate without the senate's approval <laughs> <laughs> which is which, which by the way, the Supreme Court later overturned it's just you can't do that it was, that's that's the Article one institution putting putting all kinds of uh, uh, pressures on the article two mm-hmm. uh, 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 institution. Anyway, point here is that was a partisan um, impeachment against a horrible person. <laughs> so, so, sounds we, familiar. We we have the, <laughs> yeah, so, so 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 let's come to let's come to President Trump because what we don't want in the case of President Trump, who does represent. Uh, threats to our constitutional system and I we can talk about I mean you I, I know you've talked about them in, on the podcast. We haven't talked about them today yet. But yeah no but, we're going but, to they, 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 it's
0: important. People need to be reminded why we're going through this process is so that it is not just because people don't like Trump. Like Nancy Pelosi yes. last week went off on James Rosen for asking her, do you hate the president? And she rightfully lost her shit about it because saying no I don't hate anyone. This is about the Constitution. And I think I think that's to your point why, you know, the, the just not liking him, the partisanship of it is not a reason to impeach someone. And at this point now, we've risen far above just some petty, we don't like him stuff.
2: Right. But that's worth keeping in mind that this is not about – so you have your two examples of partisan impeachments. One, because the guy was disgusting. Mm-hmm. We didn't like him at all. Johnson. That's Andrew Johnson. And the other is because – the president engaged in disgusting conduct. He was disgusting in a different way. But it's not impeachable. (laughs) And it's disgusting in a different way, okay? Those were those both produced partisan impeachments. The question now is we have someone who who in his rhetoric, I mean who seems to be disgusting and certainly his rhetoric is is disgusting.
1: And and, and who has (laughs) and
2: and then he's behaved in a disgusting way. (laughs) But this but this but there are grounds to believe this is a Nixon impeachment. Right. Abuse of power. Yeah. Abuse of power. And that, and that, but it's very hard in this environment, in this noisy, partisan, tribal environment, to make those kind of distinctions, to say to people, those people who hate Trump hate uh, is not a good thing. I love what Matt Osey said about uh, what she said to James uh, Rosen, and I thought James Rosen hurt J- James Rosen knows better. He, he wrote a very interesting, with the exception of one chapter, which is a little conspiratorial. He wrote a very interesting biography of John Mitchell right of, of uh, uh, Richard, Richard Nixon's attorney, attorney General. Okay, so how do we help fellow Americans cut through the noise and get at the real issues here? It's not about disliking Trump. And it's not about being offended by his language. Um, it's about the a, a challenge he poses to our constitutional system. And that's going to be the challenge for, the, for Democrats and for the managers in the Senate. And the challenge for the Republicans, and I hope we can talk about them, is to remind themselves of good conservative values. Oh, good luck. Well, <laughs> I'm, I – I, I believe that I, I, I believe that one way out of the Trumpist nightmare is for conservatives, not you, Tara, but conservatives to remember conservatism yes and and, and remember and remember Burke, not that they wouldn't necessarily know Benjamin Burke, but but to remember conservatism and, and one of the things about conservatism that I admire. Is fear of rampant power?
0: Yes, you, one would.
2: An unchecked.
0: Yes, thousand yeah. percent. Burke, Russell Kirk, uh, you know Buckley. I mean, th- there are so many examples of of conservative, intellig- the intelligentsia on the conservative side that the current crop of conservative idiots—they're
2: not conservative. They're not they're conservatives.
0: Not. That's right. That's they're
2: right. not. This is. This is, and, and look, I, look, I I I am, I I I I clearly uh, well on some economic issues you might consider me conservative, but I'm I'm a liberal, uh, but I'm. I, uh, but I, I – I, we, need, we need conservatives and we need liberals and we need a good, healthy debate and a fair 000%. debate and a free debate and an honest debate. That's right. Honest debate. That's right. And a debate of mutual respect. You can see you – know, you can fundamentally disagree about the role that government plays in society, um, but you don't have to be an anarchist in making these discussions and 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 creating a a climate of fear and hatred uh while doing it and i think we we've, we've lost that. And And so
0: so to get back to this for sure, which is why conservatives like myself and, and the part, and those of us that are never Trumpers are so adamant about it. We're not haters. You know, I get pissed off when people accuse me of that all the time as well. You just hate the president. You're haters. And no, I don't hate anyone. What I do despise is what he's doing to our democratic norms, institutions, and ideals. And the long debt, long, Term damage this could do to our republic if people normalize it and think that it's all right, and we have to stand up against that. That's what that's the part I despise. I don't hate Donald Trump. I, you know he is who he is, and he's going to have to answer for that when his time of reckoning comes. What I'm concerned about is this country and the constitutional order, and that has got to be the focus. So let's talk
2: about if I'm I want to talk about the constitutional order because yeah. it's a it's one of those theoretical com- concepts that. Most people, frankly, don't have to worry about it, and that's okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the beauties of a constitution is that you're supposed to, except when you're taking an oath to it, you're supposed to not have to worry about it. It's right. sort of there, right? <laughs> but it's just you know, you know, and, and it's just supposed to work. Uh, you have uh, people in, in office. If you're an elected official, you have to do your part to make sure it works. But for the most, for most of us, you just you know, if you're going to be in government or you're going to join the, the military, you put your hand up and you you take an oath. Right. Um, So why would we worry? And this is really hard because you know uh, Donald Trump has 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 made a career out of finding uh, uh, pressure points. Uh, You know, in in, in his television era years, it was to press them so people would watch, make him watchable and entertaining. Now that he's in office, he's pressing. He's 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 looking for um, open nerves. And pushing them in order to excite a base, so he can get a narrow electoral college victory again. Um, It's what what and and what's really really uh, disgusting, and I'm going to use the word disgusting here, is that he has forgotten that even though our presidents come, I mean at least since the twentieth, since the nineteenth century, from a party. Okay, when they become president, most of their most of them have had as a goal expanding their base, not electrifying it and defining it better. Um, and, that's, and that's really divided us. If you have a president who uses rhetoric to excite differences among us, he's, I believe, not actually doing what, he's, what, what, we, what the founders expected him to do. Well, that, you're not going to impeach him for that, that's, but that's what's made this impeachment so difficult. Um, I mean, this whole crisis so difficult is that for many people, they're not even willing to absorb the information that suggests that he's a threat to the constitutional order because he's excited them so much and made it from a go a tribal issue. I mean, Bill the Buckley,
0: argument that Bill the republic Buckley called that invincible ignorance. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I, I did. But I mean, but that's and that's. Part of the talking points now
2: of uh, and I'm not going to use the term Republicans because I just I just can't believe they're Republicans. Right. Trump well, loyal. A lot of
0: them aren't. They're, they're Trumpists. They're, he's created a different um, movement here. That's for for certain. That's for certain. And, and one of the,
2: their talking points is that this is that there's a pattern of impeachment. You know, the the uh, uh, the constitutionalists and the Democrats are making the argument, look, there's a pattern of corruption. They're making an argument – there's a pattern of impeachment, that the, that that the Democrats have wanted to impeach – and the never-Trumpers have wanted to impeach Donald Trump since January 20th, 2017, and they're just throwing mud against the wall and seeing what sticks. That's it. That's all it is. That's their argument, and it's a way of getting people not to think about the details. Because it's easy that way. If you're a supporter of Donald Trump, you just put it in the corner and say, oh, yeah, there's all this noise. It's all right. these they're people. They're looking for anything.
0: Right. They're out to get him. And, and that That's what you see when you interview people at these rallies. Uh, I the, the rally in Pennsylvania the other night, they had a woman there that was like in tears because they're just going after Trump and it's not fair to him. You know, these people are cultists. It's insane. But he's been well, at creating that. And look, uh, uh, and you, you have to –
2: you you have to recognize we have to recognize that Donald Trump articulated pain that exists in certain parts of this country. Now it's not pain necessarily uh, linked to racial views. Uh, some of it is, and that's I, I you some know that it is more makes so me very than sad. I wanted
0: to admit before I have yeah. to say sadly, but yeah, go ahead. They're, but some of it, racial, yeah. And, all,
2: uh, and what they what he's done is he's he's given voice to it now i think he's done it in a cynical way right. because he's not really doing anything about it but because, that's because again, Bill
0: clinton gave voice to the i the whole i feel your pain was a brilliant political yeah. strategy and that's yeah. ultimately what propelled him to the presidency in 92 But the way Donald Trump is doing it is instituting fear and otherism and tribalism and this nationalist populism scourge is very, very dangerous stuff. Yeah. Now, I mean, uh, look, I mean, Barack Obama, uh, uh,
2: Barack Obama beats McCain, I believe, because of the Great Recession. They were neck and neck until the Great Recession. That's right. Um, And Barack Obama is also saying, you know i understand and then but then he said you know here's some hope for the future he had a a right. positive message whatever Absolutely. you think about how he implemented it right, he right. had a positive message That's a different we have is a negative we we had a different conversation but we have a but 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 president trump is a negative message yep all right and he says blame them he's always pointing at them whoever them are and the, the, yep. the, 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 they blame people them are saying- you're in pain <laughs> yeah people are saying, you're in pain because of those people okay so in this environment how do, what, how do those of us who follow this that talk on TV or on the radio, how can we encourage folks just to look at a few details, to make up their own minds despite the noise? Now, I'm a teacher, so I believe this is possible. I, you can't be a teacher and be a cynic. I mean you shouldn't be because if you're a cynic, then, then you, know, you don't believe people can learn. right? And I'm not suggesting we teach people to think like us. That's not teaching. That's that's uh, that's indoctrination. I don't believe in that. But how can we get folks who are certainly smart enough because they manage their own businesses, they manage their own lives and their families and all that. How can we get them to take the time to just look at data points? Just a few. Not a lot. You don't have to learn the history of U.S.-Ukrainian relations. How do we get them to look at a few data points? Because that's what this is all about. In 1974, my heroes in 1974 were a group of, and I don't usually say this about Southern Democrats, because certainly on racial issues, I, I, I've never considered them heroes. Right. But Southern Democrats, Southern Democrats were the key to Richard Nixon staying in office. Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon knew that the Democrats had a caucus problem. It's different from today's caucus problem. The Democratic Party, and I'm sure in your podcast you've talked about this, was a different kind of party then. Um, and the, so you had all these Southern Democrats, and they were pro Nixon. Their constituents were hugely pro Nixon. I mean, Nixon had won a huge landslide in 1972. He won all across the country, That's not right. just the South. But his margins in the South were unbelievable. You know, the South was a one-party state. It was a Democratic Party, but it wasn't the same as the
0: Northern Democratic Party. It was a Southern Democratic Party. Anyway, well, Nixon more, believed— Well, I had former Democratic Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman on um, a couple weeks oh, yeah. ago, where she talked about the dynamics at the time and, you know, the differences with, with um, the, the partisan dynamics then and how, it, you know, the Democrats were at least smart enough to bring in Republican counsel— that, you know, on their side of things, and that the the Democratic chairman uh, from New Jersey of the Judiciary Committee, his name escapes me right now, but how— Rodino. Rodino, that's right. And how he um, was—there was just a different environment of some compromise and understanding the seriousness of the procedures that were going on that allowed for bipartisanship that just does not exist today. Doesn't exist, but also it required uh, courage, right. and uh, on the part
2: of Democrats, uh, the De- De- Democratic leadership sidelined. Uh, Liz is amazing, and, and she knows this story. I mean, she mentioned this part too, which is that the the sub the, the uh, committee chair, the subcommittee chair chairs at the time, were uh, impeachers. These were partisan Democrats, and the chair Rodino fought with them pushed the majority council aside. There was a majority council who was a huge partisan, huge impeacher, pushed him aside right. and picked the Republican uh, council, a man named John Doerr, which I'm sure, sure. I'm, I'm, uh, whom I'm sure Liz mentioned. Yep. But that took guts. That took guts because Rosino realized that impeachment's a traumatic thing for the country. We can't have partisans doing it. Now, um, look, Rodino didn't like Nixon. Of course he didn't like Nixon, and he was ready to vote for impeachment. That was the point. He understood that he had a new responsibility as chair of a judiciary committee doing its constitutional duty. His partisan self had to be put to one side, and a new self had to emerge. And and, and he was able to make the transition successfully and uh, uh, in, in a way that was believable.
0: So, do you think that the Republicans who are whining and bitching about the process now uh, being so partisan and unfair, and all of the carping that they've done, is that legitimate? Because it, to me, it seems like it's a bunch of distraction BS. Because they can't argue the facts of what's going on. But do you, you know, as a, from a historical perspective, do they have do they have an argument to make about the process so far? Uh, I, I
2: think they have. Well, they here's the problem: they, they're they're so extreme. In the way they make an argument, because what they are arguing is that because of the process, the president is not getting uh, a due process. And there is no such thing in this. Um, uh, so right. their, it, their argument leads process, a into a rat. <laughs> yeah. yeah they're, they're, and they're, so they're, their arguments lead into a ra- It's a it's a rabbit hole that should send you down. Here is here is what the Democrats could have done. Um, and someday we'll find out why they could have actually had votes. On the subpoenas, um, there were votes on – when the, when the House Judiciary Committee subpoenaed Nixon, there was a vote that was taken, and all but three Republicans voted for the subpoena. Now, it's a different time, I, I grant you, but, but some people argue that, oh, yes, those Republicans who voted that way were liberal Republicans. No, they were conservative Republicans and liberal Republicans. Mm-hmm. The issue was a constitutional requirement. You know, do you do your duty under the Constitution? I've never seen that spirit from Republicans on the committee, but they do have a point that there was no vote taken. These were chair, these were subpoenas from the chair. Now, I, that is true. Now, does that undermine the evidence that was found? No. Because the evidence was found, was found under oath, and the public got to watch these people testify, and the public got a chance to see whether these people were believable, and they were all credible. But I'll leave it up to the public if they, you know, agree that, you know, Ambassador Yovanovitch uh, and Ambassador Taylor uh, and Dr. Hill. Uh, and uh, whether these people were believable or not, they seemed credible to me, mm-hmm. um, but yes you could have you could have uh, had a, a vote on the subpoenas. Um, uh, the argument that this was done in secret that 's baloney uh, that is that is that is truly a distract uh, an effort of distraction the, uh, the The star report, which was the basis for the Clinton. Uh, Impeachment that was done that was that was done as a as an independent counsel study which involved lots of uh, closed door uh, depositions Uh, Nixon's impeachment was based on work done by the Watergate uh, the the Senate Watergate Committee some of that was done yes publicly but there were a lot of staff interviews and also materials collected by the uh, by the special prosecutor and that was all done behind the scenes so there is no. Presumption of public hearings for the collection of data uh, uh, for an impeachment by an impeachment inquiry. So, uh, and indeed, in the Nixon case, when the Republicans asked for more data, because after they went through the data that had been uh, compiled by the nonpartisan staff, a number of the Republicans said, hey, we'd like to ask some questions of some witnesses. And and Rodino said, okay, and agreed to some. Those were done behind closed doors. Those weren't done in public. Those were televised hearings. Right. So,
0: the argument, like so the argument the argument here, grand jury process, <laughs> grand, exactly. I mean, you know, got to do some things but, behind closed doors. And a lot of these Republicans, they conducted... Behind closed doors interviews during Benghazi and Fast and Furious and everything under the Obama administration that they were upset about. Those things were done behind closed doors as well. And they and like Trey Gowdy, when he was chairman of Oversight, he argued for the importance of, of closed door hearings at the time. So these Republicans are a bunch of hypocrites now. <laughs>
2: well, and, and they're making they're making they're throwing. They're the ones throwing mud against the wall and see what right. sticks. Now, now I think and I believe that there are moments when closed-door hearings serve the public interest because they allow for compromise. I don't mean compromise on, on the substance of, 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 of the interviews or depositions. What I'm talking about is compromise among uh, the Republicans and Democrats. It might have been a good idea – Um, Maybe impossible in this era for the the articles of impeachment to have been discussed behind closed doors first before they were announced publicly. I don't see in the case of Nixon, Southern Democrats and Republicans edited the articles. The final articles of impeachment reflected changes, amendments made by Republicans and Southern Democrats. The. The, the abuse of power article uh, in the Nixon case, which became the basis for um, the, uh, the Clinton abuse of power uh, and, 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 and I'm sure inspired some of the uh, uh, article, uh, the first article of abuse of power in this instance against President Trump. That was finally edited by a Southern Democrat. Huh. Uh, the original draft article, which was produced by the staff. Um, was rejected by the Southern Democrats and the Republicans. They said we can't vote for this. Interesting. And it was edited, but it was all done. It was all done behind the scenes, and in fact, um, it was done secretly. The uh, the chair of the of the committee and John Doerr met with these folks. Actually, John Doerr met with them, and it and ultimately the revised article was proposed by a liberal. At the request of the chair, so that the rest of the committee didn't know that Southern Democrats and Republicans had actually edited it. How about that? This is all done behind the scenes. I didn't know. But this was in order to make it – and this is to make it a national effort because impeachment is not – Supposed to be partisan. For goodness sakes, there weren't parties when the that's founders right. met right. in Philadelphia.
0: That's right, and they and they were worried about factions and parties back then. Actually, I yes. think the the framers would be quite upset if they saw what's happening now. And you refer to the impeachment process as a safety valve, and that's what it should yes. be used as. And so, when you look at what's happening now, and I know we have a couple minutes uh, left because you got to go. But um, uh, do, do you feel as though? Um, that that what Donald Trump has done, the abuse of power and what's going on, what what should the average American be paying attention to at this point as we move forward? Because they are inundated with so much bullshit. And you've got Fox News and conservative talk radio really, really being dishonest about the findings and what's gone on. What should people Pay attention to the most as they're watching this unfold and as it moves over to the Senate. I, sh- I think you should ask yourself two questions. One, do you, do you
2: want the President of the United States to feel that there will be no consequences at all if he goes to a foreign government and collects dirt on an American citizen just because he doesn't like them?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Richard Nixon did this sort of thing at home. He used the FBI, he used the IRS um, in order to collect information against, about his enemies and use it to destroy them. Uh, in 1974, uh, a, a Republicans, and Democrats decided that was an abuse of power. If the president of the United States does that with a foreign government, is that not the same thing? I think it's the same thing. And that's why I see the abuse of power in the Ukraine case as similar uh, in its uh, threat to our constitution as what Richard Nixon did with the FBI and the IRS. The second question I'd ask is this. um, Are you comfortable with a president deciding whether or not he is going to uh, respect uh, a part of our constitution? The president will decide I don't – this part of the Constitution I, I don't agree with and say that he won't uh, comply with subpoenas because he just doesn't recognize the fact that the House can determine uh, to whether or not wishes to engage in an impeachment inquiry. Um, he has called this impeachment inquiry illegitimate uh, in a baseless way. He hasn't said why, um, and the Constitution makes clear that the, the House has that power you don't like it then amend the Constitution but as long as your president and the Constitution has been amended you, you need to respect it and and our Americans are the Americans comfortable with their president um, picking and choosing the parts of the Constitution that uh, he will uphold
0: and that's the key question here uh, you know all the other partisan bickering aside those are the fundamental questions that 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 face the American people and my concern is that not enough Americans Understand the um, implications if they just just shrug at this. Like the constitutional (laughs) order that has kept this republic together is really at stake here. Am I being alarmist in that at all? Because sometimes people think I'm, you know, well, you know, we'll survive it, we'll make it. Uh, Yeah. What? what, Have you ever seen anything like this in history before?
2: No. No, no, and I, and I, and I, uh, I learned in studying the Nixon story that for all the crimes that are documented that he committed, Richard Nixon very nearly finished his second term. Had it not been for the tapes, I think Nixon would not have been, would not have resigned. Nixon was at—it's amazing—but he was he was at twenty-five percent public approval. And Republican leaders—I'm not talking about the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee—who showed real political courage. Republican leaders were afraid to come out against him, um, and they only came out against him after the uh, smoking gun transcript came out. And the smoking gun transcript only only came out as a result of the Supreme Court decision. And that was well, had after, the Supreme Court. Not- that was after
0: articles of well, impeachment had already been drawn up, right?
2: There was after – that was during the period when they were being drawn up, it was just before the vote, but the transcript didn't come on until after the vote. So those Republicans on the committee voted – seven of them voted against the president of their own party without the smoking gun transcript. But the leaders of the Republican Party were – dis- they were really unhappy, They didn't know what to do because they were fearful that their base would not – even with the evidence that was out there that their base would not accept that they turned against a president of their own party, just
0: like now in
2: many ways. And then this is one of the, one of the key things to keep in mind is the profiles and courage in 1974 were, were those members of the committee, not the leadership of the Republican party. We all remember Barry Goldwater. And I mean, some remember Barry Goldwater and John Rhodes and Hugh Scott and, and Hugh Scott, um, But they – Senator Scott – but they went to see Nixon after the the transcript of the smoking gun conversation was out. Um, They didn't knock out before. And Nixon, by the way, that was was kabuki theater. Nixon had already – um, had already asked that his resignation speech be written. Mm-hmm. So Nixon was already going to resign. A lot of that was just uh, a, a theater for the public. Interesting. Um, the, the, Republican, the Republican, The Republican leaders did not have to go to tell Nixon to leave. He was, he had, he was ready to go. He wasn't happy about it, but right. he knew he had to go. The writing was so, on the wall already, yeah. The writing was on the wall. But So my point in this is that it's never been easy for leaders of the same party as the president to uh, ask the president to leave office, it's, it's never been easy. And in a case like Nixon, when, as I said, the, the, the evidence of his participation in the cover-up, his uh, misuse of, of government agencies was, was overwhelming. I mean, um, even in that instance, it was difficult. So in an instance where the government, where the president himself has said no cooperation at all, and therefore, I don't agree with um, Professor Turley that there's a paucity of evidence, but I do agree that it'd be nice to have more, not to make the case, but to make the case easier to the general public. But you don't have the ocean of material now that you had then, even in that environment, it was hard. And so I, I, I'm not surprised to see the partisanship today. Um, what saddens me is that there aren't. A handful of Republicans who are conservative and constitutionally aware enough to sit there and actually think about the larger issues posed by the president's conduct. That's really dismaying. How is it possible that our political DNA could have so changed Hmm. that there aren't a handful? I'm not asking for two thirds in the Senate. I mean a handful.
0: Where are those
2: patriots? I'm looking for them
0: you and me both tim naftali you are the best thank you so much for your time um i you and i will be chatting more as this unfolds because i I think that your perspective on this is amazing and also for people who don't know um mr naftali was also a consultant on the show Designated Survivor. If you any fans listening <laughs> of that program, I'm a big fan of Kiefer Sutherland. He'll always be Jack Bauer to me in 24. But um, <laughs> it's a big show too, and that's that's cool that you were a consultant to that.
2: That was uh, fun. That was really a fun experience. Let I me tell bet, you. <laughs> I
0: bet. Um, Tim, uh, everybody, check out his book. Uh, you know he he co-authored a book as I mentioned, Impeachment and American History, with some other really amazing individuals. John Meacham is is another hero of mine and, and an intellectual conservative that i appreciate greatly during these times so uh be sure to check that book out it's more appropriate now than ever given the the history of what we're going through tim how can people find you and your wonderful comments other than on cnn oh well on twitter
2: tim natalie on twitter you can find me there um and uh, if you are interested in uh presidential biography, uh, I wrote a small um, biography of George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, whom I believe was the right man at the right time at the end of the Cold War. So if you're interested in that period of history, you might want to check that book out, too.
0: Fantastic. Tim Natale, thank you, my friend. Have a great holiday season.
2: Thank you, Tara. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Bye.
0: Again, big thank you to the presidential historian and my friend and colleague at CNN, Tim Neftali. He's always, I could have talked to him for hours. He's always a pleasure to talk to because he keeps it 100, which we like on Honestly Speaking. Before I go, I wanted to do a feel-good story. Since we're in the giving spirit, it's the holiday season. I wanted to talk about this company in Maryland that gave out a pretty nice gift during their holiday party this year. Um, the name of the company, it's a real estate company called St. John Properties. And they said that, uh, they wanted to give holiday bonuses to their employees, 198 of them. So they had a video and they had, everyone had a red envelope to find out what their bonus was going to be. Except this wasn't going to be any old regular bonus, right? People get maybe a thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars, depending on where you work, right? $10 million bonus. Divided among the 198 employees. Wow. I was like, that's amazing. So the average bonus is about $50,000 per employee. Um, but they said they kind of weighted it based on how many years worked there, I guess, seniority and stuff. But the average bonus was 50 grand. Well, Merry Christmas. That's pretty cool. So shout out to St. John properties in, uh, in Maryland. Pretty nice. They reached a goal of, of developing 20 million square feet of office space, retail, and other commercial real estate space in eight states. So that's how they celebrated the, the milestone. God bless capitalism. You got to love it. One other thing, too, CNN heroes. Every year, CNN, in the first week of December, they, they do a tribute to people who do extraordinary things. And during the year, they nominate. you can nominate people on CNN.com for, for, as a CNN hero. And every year it's a tearjerker because it's just really extraordinary to see these, these people doing wonderful things in their communities, um, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And uh, this year there was another 10 amazing people. And they did something with kids, kids who are doing charitable things. Really, really fantastic program. It's been going on. My friend Anderson Cooper started it back in 2008 or 2007. Uh, Kelly Ripa co-hosts it with him it's an amazing program. If you didn't see it, you can find it online, but also you can go and just check out some of the CNN hero organizations. I know my audience is very giving and charitable. They always ask me how they can help or whenever there's tragedies and things. And if you want to help, those are worthy organizations. So check out the CNN heroes at cnn.com and see if there's an organization there that interests you that you'd like to help during this Christmas season as well. One other thing I want to say really quickly is that there was a horrible shooting in my home state of New Jersey this week where a police officer, 40 years old, father of five was ambushed and killed. And, um, three other people were killed in a Jewish supermarket in the city in Jersey city in a, in a Jewish neighborhood there. They don't know the motive yet of the killers, but it's looking more and more like it was a hate crime. And, um, I just want to say, I want to pray for the victims of those families and much respect to the SWAT teams and the officers in Jersey City who responded and took out the shooters who did this. And um, I just want everyone to pray and and just appreciate the law enforcement officers who put their lives at risk every day to protect and serve voluntarily and who never know when, when their last day, uh, when their end of watch is going to happen. So a little bit of a somber note, but be thankful for those men in blue men and women in blue all right god bless everybody enjoy your holiday season and um we'll continue this next week thanks for listening oh be sure make sure you you send some tweets to me about your favorite christmas movies i want to hear them so we can argue and people can yell at me about that hard not being a christmas movie <laughs> see you next week